Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Simon Sweetman, and this is episode 126, uh, where I had a chat with Helen Heath. She is a Wellington writer. Uh, she's a poet. I mean, she's. we talk about a memoir that she's got planned, and she's written essays and other things, but she's known as a poet. Uh, her first book of poetry called Graft was nominated for a Science Writing Award, and it also won Best First Book. Uh, her brand new book of poetry is called Our Friends Electric and uh, we talk a lot about that. We, well, we talk about all sorts of things actually. We talk about um, you know, her background and her upbringing and her uh, interest in writing and how it all happened. But uh, we get into some of the wider themes of her, her book. Um, her poetry is fantastic. I love the first book but this new volume is uh, really is something else and uh, uh, sort of... Um, a series of, of interesting meditations on uh, on grief and also on uh, uh, technology and the internet and where we're at and how we don't um, we don't sort of afford the technology things that uh, you know the devices that really shape our world. We we're almost a bit embarrassed to talk about them, um, and and she's not and doesn't and and this volume of poems she's made has. Uh, yeah, some really intriguing, intense stuff in it, and uh, and very beautiful. And so, uh, if you listen through to the episode, you'll get to hear, hear her read a couple of the poems, and uh, and just a very interesting chat about um, all of the things that have informed this and 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 her writing from from science to to good old fashioned prog concept records to uh, to, to to other writers and writing and and. Um, and many things. I I'd only really met Helen, I think, once, maybe twice, and bit of correspondence with her. But we didn't know each other that well. But I, so I really, really enjoyed this conversation. I, um, in fact, and I'll, I'll I'll include a link to it. Um, Pip Adam, who I spoke to from the podcast recently, uh, I've mentioned her great podcast, Better Off Red. Uh, she's got a great episode with Helen on her podcast, and uh, and you know I, I I knew when I heard that that I had to talk to her as well. So I was very pleased to to host her and have this chat with her. Um, my thanks as always to Yeasty Boys, Le Pity Chocolat and Tea Leaf Tea. I hope you enjoy this. This is me and Wellington poet Helen Heath talking poetry and many things besides. I always like to try and work out how I know someone and, 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 and so forth. And I know I know we've met, but I think we've only met once or twice before very briefly. Maybe. Oh, we half a degree of separation. Yeah, maybe. probably at some book type event, but I know we've corresponded. I think, um, well, I guess, well, Katie was at Emil for a bit, wasn't yeah. she? And so maybe there's that connection, connection. to it. And yeah. there's just, yeah, Wellington Literary scene yeah. is pretty... Yeah, pretty small. Naughty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because you, but did you work for um, VW or something for a while? Were you, yeah, were you, I was you, a publicist at VP. Yeah, I thought so. Um, directly after I finished my Master's. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's what I was thinking about, and I was like, I think that's probably where that, I had, like, Co- yeah. Correspondence with you, yeah, yeah, I, was I'd through say that. that's probably most likely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I forget there's so many people I've met through that job that I've yeah. lost track. And before, um, back in the old days, I was I was a book girl yeah. at, at Unity Books. Yeah, and yeah. So there's a lot of Wellington people I met, yeah, and yeah. I've and I don't have a recollection of talking to half of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, people come in and you're just a constant stream of of people and conversations about books. Yeah. And some of them are more. Well, some but there's some very eccentric characters. Who yeah, are, well, that's they stick in your mind. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. I have some of those um, stories from my days in retail as well. It's mm. you know, it's it's great, isn't it? Like it's it's funny that you do have some real characters. And I worked at Borders for a little while, oh, so that right. was. Yeah. 
uh, different from Unity, obviously, and, and inferior, but you do get some particular funny types with bookstores. Yeah, you know, yeah, definitely. May, maybe more so than music stores. Well, libraries are even, even yes, crazier. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I've really um, got obsessed with the Wellington Library since, um, I guess, since having Oscar. Like, yeah. you know, suddenly you libraries and zoos and things like that when you when you when you have a little kid you, you're just like if i never had a kid i probably wouldn't bother with this wonderful resource you know i'd, I'd yeah, pay it lip service and that's it but then you end up i mean i go to the library like two or three times a week at least if you look at the people who are spending their days there especially on and when it's cold and wet like this mm. the people who are using it almost like a lounge yeah it's it's pretty amazing that we've got that sort of resource in the, in the city yeah yeah totally yeah. um so where did you are you where did you grow up are you girl you are yeah, yeah. <laughs> and how how what, what what was happening then and there and how long were you there um i was there 70s and 80s yeah up until like 88 yeah and um went to nine eye college yeah when it was still pretty rough um, yeah, didn't get into any knife fights, but fisticuffs. <laughs> Do you get a certificate for that? Like, you know, for I if wish. you don't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was pretty sort of a middle class girl, but it was my my father had also um, gone to Nine College in the fifties when it just opened up. Yeah. And so, and he, yeah, he thought that for both my parents thought it was it was uh, that you should. You should go to your local and you should mix with a broad range of people. Yeah. Yeah, we had we had school exchanges with Nainai and Tawa and they were frightening to uh, <laughs> like I don't know if it was just the sport I was playing and the people and the people involved in that but what sport were you playing? Uh, hockey. Hockey, yeah. yeah. Oh that gets pretty vicious. Yeah, I don't know. It was just they were quite scary exchanges, both of those. <laughs> so my understanding of uh, Wellington as a kid was really through that. And I was, I don't know, I wouldn't say I was put off it, but yeah, I was quite, then when I moved to Wellington, I just moved into the city and had nothing to do with Nainai and Tower and no real understanding of them for years. Yeah. And they're not at all bad places or anything, or anything like that, but yeah, it was just, you know, it's yeah. funny that they stuck in my mind as almost kind of like, well, avoid those places. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I guess I, I, I left as soon as I could, you know, we used to, We'd, we'd park up on the Petonia foreshore and I sort of w watch the lights across the harbour and think, yeah. one day, one day, and then, yeah. How do so, I get to there? <laughs> and then, um, yeah, as soon as I finished high school, I um, I took off and, and moved into town and moved into this big, crazy old flat on Allenby Terrace. Yeah. It was like a 12-bedroom old um, villa, still standing. Yeah. And it was just, it was mad. Yeah. If everyone was home and there was a party, basically, mm, mm. that was that was my sort of big entry into into the world. The world. <laughs> so you're a Wellington person. You're yeah, um, you're born and, born and bred and stayed here for most well, of it. Most of it, yeah. I went um, partner and I went um, over to the UK for a couple of years. So it's yeah, been a few years mm. doing doing the the traditional mm -hmm. <laughs> OE travel OE, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was round about that sort of. My partner's in IT, and it was round about that whole. Um, dot com bubble. Yeah. And so yeah, we came back and went over there basically to get a house deposit. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and when you, that's when you still could. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And and uh, and when do what are you doing as a kid? When do uh, I mean you've you've already outed yourself as a 
as a bookstore person, a publicist, a you know, and and someone who goes through the IIML. But when does writing and books and stuff into your world? Are you a kid that? Yeah, I was a nerd. A bookworm. Yeah. Um, my parents were both scientists, and they I think they I was a bit of the black sheep of the family because I was kind of like the weird arty one, <laughs> <laughs> writing angsty poems in my room. Yeah. Um, but having said that, there was books everywhere in our house, so there was a real, there was a, a love It was, yes, yeah, it was encouraged. It was encouraged and appreciated, and, you know, we went to the Hutt Library every week and would come home with like the maximum amount of books you could take out yeah. you know and so yeah and I basically just read a book a day yeah from yeah my, my mother was really keen on um getting us to read so I she taught us to read before we went to school mm. so I just basically was a complete and also you know uh, I mean I don't want to be down on the hut Valley because there's good things about it but it was a way of escaping you know mm, mm. into different worlds mm, mm. <laughs> And and um, when do you have a gut? Like when you, you mentioned writing angsty poetry, as 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 I think any teenager with an interest in writing and or books does, whether they tell people or not. But yeah, when do when do you start penning little stories or poems or anything? Is that preteen or? Um, yeah, actually, I was I was a bit precocious. I so I when I was at primary school, I wrote a play and made my. Um, Classmates perform. <laughs> <laughs> Writer, director. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just basically, I just want to be a puppet master. Uh, <laughs> um, and then, yeah, when I was in high school, had some, po- you know, I was on the on the uh, school magazine group and had, you know, got mm. some poems in the magazine. Mm. And I guess that was my foray into publishing as well. Mm. I was kind of like that was the old day we had, you know, cut out bromides and. We were sort of gluing uh, either photographs and text into the layout. Mm, it was mm. old school, yeah. I don't imagine anyone um, writing and publishing poetry goes into it thinking that they're going to one day be a, the rock star of poetry <laughs> or that they're going to you know, make a living out of it or, or maybe even publish a book. Or if they are going to publish a book, that's... That, that's an understandable thing to want to do and, and people can publish their own book obviously and and whatever but um, when does it when does it move on for you that you want to I guess share poems like when do you feel confidence in them and um, or, or to to either share them or continue them or and develop them um, yeah well after my initial foray into high, <laughs> into high school yearbooks yeah. Um, yeah there was a bit of a lull and I guess you sort of start to realise that it's... I mean, I, I remember as a teenager I said, I'm going to write books. But I didn't really... I couldn't really think about how that would actually work in practice. Mm, mm, mm. It was just some kind of highfalutin thing. And and also, I, there weren't that many people in New Zealand that you could think about who were writing books. Mm. But funnily enough, Fiona Kidman, um, her husband, Ian, was a counsellor at our school and he introduced some of us to Fiona... And we, we interviewed her for an English project. And I started to think, oh, actually, maybe this is a mm. thing that is possible. Mm. Um, but then I sort of, I, I didn't send any writing away f- for a few years. My, my mother died when I was 20. And so there was a few years where I kind of just hid away a bit, I guess, and sort of wrote my little angsty poems and get them to myself. Mm. And then I first started sending things off sort of late 90s 
Um, but then, and then I met my partner, and then we um, happy accident um, had two, <laughs> accidentally had two children <laughs> in very quick succession. Yeah. Um, and so that sort of put things on on hold a bit. Yeah. So I the did, classic life gets in the way. Yeah, and life you, got yeah. in the way a lot. Yeah. Um, but it was always there in the back of my mind. Yeah. And so finally, I applied to do my masters. Um, when was it? Two thousand and nine. I thought, I've got to do it before I turn 40, otherwise that's it, my life will be over. <laughs> this is the um, IIML, <laughs> Masters right. of Creative Writing. That's right. Now, I've talked to, uh, I mean, I know you said you listened to the podcast that did recently with Pip, so, you know, I've talked to a few people that have, have um, been through that, and, and you mentioned my wife, Katie, went through that, and I was talking about that with her the other day, and she goes, Jesus, that was 2001 for her. Mm-hmm. So, she, yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I know a few people... Um, that have been through that, and I've talked to a few people, so I'm always interested to um, to get uh, your your t- take on your particular year and what you were trying to achieve and what happened for you in that. So, uh, before maybe before we get to that, so life gets in the way. You become a part. You're part of a relationship, and then you are a mother to two kids. And you and and what else is I mean I, what when I say what else is going on I guess how are you fulfilling yourself creatively, of course being a parent, um, is that and does that in a way that you can't know until you become one, but um, um I was still writing yeah, at that time yeah and um and I was doing some undergraduate papers so I um I sort of was a bit obsessed with workshops basically because it was just a way of finding time and space mm. for myself to write and so even like I can remember the first one I did um, my son my oldest was just a baby and um, and I would drop him off at the university creche and pop in and do a workshop and I think once he was sick and I couldn't leave him there and I had to take him with me and mm. And feed him in the middle of class. <laughs> um, so I was doing doing um, little short courses, and then I did a um, um, a collaborative project with Hitting Wine Baker and a couple of um, visual artists, Daisy Wood and Kirsty Morrison, and we had an exhibition at um, Partaka. It yep. was like two thousand and five, um, which was kind of like quite domestic poetry with with art and yeah. so I was doing bits and pieces like that and sort of trying to keep going and I had a mentorship with the um, Society of Authors things like that and I just thought I'll just keep ticking along keep chugging along and sort of building up a bit of a portfolio and trying to develop my work while it was sort of fitting things in where I could and I was doing work for the um, New Zealand Poetry Society and the book, New Zealand Book Council and mm. I worked on the New Zealand Festival the Writers and Readers Week so I was I was actually yeah, you were quite more busy. than a toe in the water, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I was kind of still sort of flying under the radar, but I guess I wasn't really putting myself out there, I was just sort of thinking of myself going through mm. a bit of an apprenticeship, I mm, guess. Mm. So you have, through all of that, um, you ha- and whatever else you have, and, and, and university study and connection stuff, you have full understanding of the IIML for quite some time before you decide to apply for it. Yeah, I done. I I I worked. Um, I worked in arts organisations that had contact with the IIML. Yeah, I'd yeah. Done, done undergraduate courses, and I kind of 
thought, okay, because I, I, I thought it was quite a big commitment. I mm. knew it was, mm. and the kids were still young, and I just knew that I had to wait until it was the right time. So I waited until my youngest was at school because I just thought it would just be nuts to try and do it before then. I just sort of, I, I have this, I always love this um, line that Robbie Robertson from the band talks about Bob Dylan and says, um, he, for us, he was the guy standing the highest on the mountain with the brightest torch. And I think, like, for better or worse, in Wellington writing circles, that's then Bill Manhire with his school, yeah. with his school, and now Damien. That's where it's at for a lot of people. That they that the IIML is up on the top of the hill, and it is it shines brightly for people. So, and obviously it's had some detractors and some negative press over the oh, years yeah, and all of that yeah. sort of stuff, usually from people with no real understanding of it. Um, but, yeah, it, it, you know, you mentioned, oh, I've got to go and do that before I turn 40 or whatever. I've got to try. So um, did, were you successful straight away on applying or did you have a go and not get in and then try again? Or Well, I think I, no, I got in on my first attempt, but I, I had left it quite a while. So I think some, yeah. some people sort of, they, they start applying quite early on and, and then they sort of yeah they rework yeah. their applications but yeah. I, I'd left it so long I was really ready <laughs> you were like yeah it's now it's now or never <laughs> do, you th- do you think if you didn't get in you would have applied again or you'd have gone oh well that's my best shot I, like, I wasn't expecting to get right. in at all yeah. I, I, um, and I got a phone call from Katie um, who works in the office there who's brilliant and um, and she said oh we'd like to accept you and I was like oh. <laughs> and I was home alone and um and then she said, hey, do you want to, um, are you going to take the place? I was like, oh, of course I'm going to yeah, take the place. Yeah. And then, then she said, said oh, okay, great, we'll, um, and then hung up. And and then after I'd hung up the phone, I suddenly thought, did I just imagine their phone call? <laughs> <laughs> and I started to convince myself that it was just an elaborate fantasy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if eventually an email came, but there was a few days where I was just like. Did that happen? <laughs> I'm waiting for the email confirmation. Did, and. And obviously you went into it as a poet. I mean, I know, you, yeah. you know, you write essays and things, but you're a, I mean, you're a p- poet primarily. That's primarily, how, yeah. And um, you were then too, like, that was the focus. That was what I applied to do, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. And was that, when the, was that when the class was still essentially a mixture of people doing different disciplines or had they broken it up by that point to particularly poets and yeah by that stage um there were two streams yeah there was st- the, the prose stream and then there was the poets mixed in with the memoirists yeah and um yeah and that year i um i was in my cohort there was um ashley young yes and um and then there was um bill nelson yeah um well, it's some really great people anyway. It, yeah, was a, yeah. it was a it was a great year, and the the prose cohort were fantastic as well. Emma Martin was one of the people doing writing mm. prose. Um, oh, now I started naming names. I'm yeah. feel bad. I haven't named all the names. Yeah, but yeah. It was great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a great year. I mean, it almost. I mean, to to the person in there, it, it doesn't matter because it's like you're there, and whoever's there, it's you the ex- most of it. the experience yeah. is kind of uh, as I've come to understand it from talking to people. It's this insular world in the best possible way such an intense space mm. of time you know it's only nine months yeah and you just bust a gut the whole time it's like a sprint so who's your t- 
teacher who's your facilitator so chris price um facilitated yep. that yep. um that workshop mm-hmm. um which was good for me because she has she had the whole interest in science poems herself mm. so that mm. was kind of quite and helpful. and um breaking out of strict poetic that's right you know she's a poet but she's, she's John the Dustin. yeah 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 yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly yeah 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 yeah, yeah. So yeah, no, it was a it was a good start. But only you know, compare that to the PhD, and that's a marathon. It's, it's such a different experience. The two of them, the masters, it was just like this crazy sprint, and the whole year was completely mad. Yeah. Um, and it's yeah, I mean everybody compared. You know, nine months it's inevitably attracts sort of <laughs> pregnancy and birth <laughs> metaphors. Yeah, yeah. But it was a bit like that, and that's especially if you've been through it, <laughs> you know, and you, you can't actually <laughs> make that comparison with some. <laughs> but yeah, and it was it was it was a mad year. Mm. And then, but then yeah, at the end of it, you you coming out with this with this manuscript through a, a body of work environment yeah what um did you you know what were the big sort of impacts and take-homes for you from that like what did you what do you feel you and you and your work achieved from going through that one of the biggest things is just like oh i can actually write a book (laughs) it's it's in me yeah Mm. and then um and to not be afraid of throwing stuff out like i'd sort of for so long I'd been thinking, oh, you know, every poem is so precious and you've got to just rework it until it's mm. right. And then I finally got to the point where I could just throw stuff away and think, it's not as if the object itself um, can only exist once. It's, it's It all comes from inside of your mind and as long as your mind is still working, then it can come again in another form or something. Mm. So, mm. Yeah, sort of, I guess I get got a little less precious about each individual poem and began to think of it as they're all a product parts of, of a whole yeah. parts of a whole um, mm. yeah and I really enjoyed that whole idea of when you say parts of a whole that whole idea that a collection can um, all the pieces within a collection can can speak to each other mm, can move independently but, but be part of a larger yeah. thing and yeah. that's something that I really I enjoyed more than I I that was I hadn't anticipated that and mm. that's um, I've sort of taken that through into the the next book about how things can work as a as a whole. Mm. Yeah. Well, I listened to Harry Ricketts talk about your new book on RNZ, and he said, um, you know, he compared it to like a vinyl album oh, yeah. LP, <laughs> and and I thought, you know, I, I, well, I've often thought that about collections of poetry. For exactly, I guess exactly the sorts of themes you know you're sort of talking about there, the way that um there's there's strength in numbers and there's mm, you know that that's mm. taken as a whole um lesser pieces can mean more yeah, yeah that's right. rather than being and and that yeah. also you can extract and you know pick the hit singles or whatever yeah yeah, yeah have yeah. that and i've you know i think that's that's been maybe maybe it's because i've been an obsessive album listener but that's that's how i've sort of um always really processed individual volumes of poetry they're kind of like the the album version of literature yeah it's funny isn't it when you look at things like best new zealand poems and they're mm. they're, they're the they're the hit greatest greatest hits the comp the samplers the sampler the compilation albums. yeah yeah now 27 yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I, I am an album girl and i'm a concept album girl yeah yeah I'm yeah like big on the concept album yeah yeah so well when did let's let's deviate then when did 
when did music come into your world and be something that you, you know, how do you find your way to concept albums? How do you, as a listener, how do you connect with those? I guess I've always been narrative driven, you know, and I mm. think that I look for a narrative wherever I'm, whether it's in books or, or mm. uh, music or anything. I'm getting distracted by your dog. Oh, he's I so know. Cute. He's ridiculous. <laughs> he needs to sit down. <coughs> yeah, I mean, I had an older brother who was really into um, sort of. Um, you know, things like Hawkwind. Oh yeah, the prog stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah all the prog stuff. Um, so that was that was a bit of a well, of course, on me. Yeah. Hot girl. So yeah, 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 of course. totally. Yeah, yeah. That. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that uh, yeah, I mean that uh, uh, that kind of is where I mean, I guess we're different now. Like uh, I was talking to someone, you know, much younger than me the other day, that was talking about how much they love. Um, Sufjan Stevens and because of the narrative mm, thing and mm. obviously loads of people do but I was thinking how yeah how cool that would be to find something like those earlier albums of his as your first connection to to music being more than just a bunch of random singles mm. because like yeah for, you know I'm similar we're similar age so like for me I grew up with yeah like Pink Floyd and you know the, all the proggy yeah. sort of stuff is where you all the kind of overreaching, quite quite OTT stuff, yeah, but it's yeah. kind of fun and, and there's an absurdity about it, you know. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of pantomime pro wrestling kind of human. stuff. There's, yeah. There is, usually, yeah, yeah, usually. But that's where I, yeah, that's where I kind of got to music being more than just a bunch of... I mean, I guess you look for things in, like, Sgt. Pepper or whatever, the Beatles mm-hmm. the, the, and, and Pet Sounds, there is sort of some themes going on there but they're not really concept albums but the the big heavy concept albums are kind of these over the top heavy metal and prog <laughs> things and yeah there's a lot, as long as you kind of approach that right there's some great fun to be had in them yeah yeah, yeah. um so you in the in the uh, master's course how is your work received how and how do you receive the feedback at the end of it like does um, that go okay yeah yeah i mean like I just imagine that could be pretty crushing for, you know, it has it's, the potential to be, you're vulnerable. So. You are vulnerable. Well, I think I've um, always, I'm the kind of person who's just like, just, you know, hurt me, hurt me. <laughs> I can take the pain. I wear a horsehair shirt. You know? I, just, I don't know. I just, I, I always feel like, you know, you've got to go through a bit of pain to get some, some mm. gain, you know. Um, so that, that was fine. I mean... I think, I mean, Ashley was sort of like such a superstar that, that she kind of over. We were all just in her shadow. <laughs> really, just like <laughs> yeah, wow, right how was this? You could you could just tell from the start she was a bit of a genius. Um, but then, um, but she was writing her essays, so it was a, yeah. a little bit different. But yeah, I kind of I did, I wasn't I didn't have high hopes the manuscript when I finished I just thought I did it I, it was the, the main goal was to finish it <laughs> mm. and then that was just like oh my god I did it and then then after that I was thinking oh yeah I wasn't sure sort of how it would be received but then it sort of started to get a, a good reception and then it because of the um so that was the first book graft mm. and because of the science content it started to getting getting um some different readership which mm. was really interesting yeah talk about that you get um it gets nominated for uh, gets basically science writing. For, yeah, yeah, that's right. It gets shortlisted for the Royal Society of New Zealand's Science Book Prize. It was the first 
you know, first ever fiction or poetry book to be shortlisted for that award. I mean, obviously it doesn't win because they're, they, you know, they're looking for stuff that is far more demonstratively science. But it was kind of exciting and um, yeah, got invited to speak to the Association of Scientists and I, I kind of thought, oh, actually there, there is a space for this and um, and of course I, I did feel like I was walking in the footsteps of Bill Manhio because, you know, the Our Angels OK um, mm. project was something that I found really um, exciting and um, it made me think that it was that my work was had a, it had a context, it had a place. Mm. So yeah, and I started to get some good response. Now you don't get to have this conversation with your mum, but what are you thinking about, um, you know, the legitimising of poetry in your parents' eyes with regard to what they did or the the synergy there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, well. They, um, I think my father's sort of quietly bemused, like proud, <laughs> yeah. and, and um, happy for me, and he reads it. Yeah. But I don't, I, I don't, uh, yeah. And I, we have lots of really, really great conversations here and I about science and philosophy, and um, and so he kind of he can appreciate it on that level. But yeah, some of it is, I, I think he's, yeah, just quietly bemused. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. And because I, I mean I remember that book when it came out, and I, I sort of I guess I revisited it recently, knowing I was going to talk to you, and it, it it holds up really well as as I guess a debut collection. But more than that, you know, you could you could, I feel like you could tell someone this was someone's fifth or sixth book as well. You know, I don't feel well, like well, it's <laughs> I don't feel like it's when I say it holds up well as a debut collection. I think the only reason I say that is because the new book. Um, doesn't feel like a debut collection. The new book is is goes deeper in many ways and and uh, uh, is more experimental, I guess. Mm, yeah, definitely. Um, so what um, goes on between those two books? You, that's when you do your PhD. Yeah. So um, so Graph gets published in. So I finished. I do my master's mm. in twenty ten, and then I'm I work at a VP for. A wee while, and um, Graph gets published in 2012 by VUP, which mm. is really awkward because I had to publicise my own book, and I really didn't. Want you're not. To do you that. probably weren't the first, and you're not the last. Kirsten <laughs> well, does that now. Kirsten, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I totally feel for her. Yeah. Um, so I, but in a way, that was kind of healthy because it made me get over myself. Mm, and, mm. Um, and everybody, all writers have to do that these days it's you can't just sit back and let someone else do it all for you so and VUP has uh really good um evidence that to suggest that they don't just publish everyone that goes through that you know I think that was one of the early kind of criticisms of 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 the IIML was this treadmill of you know predominantly women who predominantly get published by VUP well it's just simply not true no, it's not true. And I like people who sneer about that. I just think, what? So, are you upset that women are <laughs> have, a vo- have, a vo- <laughs> have a voice? Have a voice. Exactly. And they're, oh, they're all young and pretty. And yeah. Um. No. <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess it's yeah. Whenever there's something an institution like that that's getting success, I guess it's it's easy for people to sort of feel frustrated that mm. there's some kind of gatekeeping going on. Mm. Well, part of part of I mean, part of trying to understand something is is criticizing it, or yeah. you know, criticize one of the 
reasons for criticism is trying to understand something. So I guess in some sense, I'm not trying to defend the the <laughs> critics of the IML because the ones that I have known and noticed over the years, it's a bit baseless, really. But I guess that's if you're going to be charitable, that's that could be one reason for it. Well, it's it's hard watching. Like if you're struggling to to get noticed and it's it's mm. difficult when it looks like some people have got it easy but it, yeah, it's, yeah. it's not a, sometimes people think that it's also a, you can just turn it it looks so easy but actually it's like yeah. years of all this bloody hard work that's gone into you can always like, just turn around and show them your royalty statements well, too yeah. to say that you know what 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 big deal actually is this <laughs> right yeah it's it's it's, yeah, it works out to be like one cent yeah hour it's or not that's like not that. why yeah. you do it no it's not no. why you do it at all yeah yeah yeah. So okay, so you're working there, and you the book comes out, and the book obviously is well received. It gets um, nominated for this award. It wins best first book. Yeah, yeah, that which has got to be pretty amazing. Well, it was, and the other thing was that it was up against because Ashley put Ashley Young put out her first collection of poetry. Yeah, yeah, in that which was same great. period of time, which was amazing. And yeah. I, um, I just thought, oh, yeah, it's, of course it's going to go to Ashley, and I sort of resigned myself. I was like, you know, she's a wonderful poet, she deserves to win, and um, so I was all geared up for that. Um, you are reminding me of, um, I did the undergraduate poetry thing at, su- at a summer school with Ashley, oh, with, Gre- Greg O'Bri- with Greg O'Brien was teaching it, and so this was, oh, gosh, I don't know, 2003? Right, yeah. Something. Yeah, yeah. And... You were, yeah, you've actually just reminded me completely that... And there were some cool people in that class and there were people that had um, already achieved some things and then there were some people that were doing it as, you know, just mere folly and probably never wrote a poem or whatever since. But you're right, like, in that class, she was, I guess, head and shoulders above everyone else. She was the most... She was the most believable and she was... From what I know, from what I remember, she was just a poet then. I say yeah. just a poet. Yeah. You know, that she was wasn't. She that was her thing. She's now better known as an essayist, if anything. Um, but she's she, an amazing poet. Yeah, she yeah. was head and shoulders. Would be the only way you could say it above mm. anyone else. And mm. there were some people writing some cool stuff in that class. But um, yeah, so so I got the phone call as a publicist mm. to say because um, they give you a heads up. Yeah. About the, who's shortlist and stuff. And then they and, I, and then they said and um, for poetry, and I was sort of waiting to hear Ashley's name, yeah. and then they said my name, and I went silent, <laughs> and I said um, sorry, sorry, could you say that again? I didn't quite catch that, mm. and she laughed and she said my name, and I, and then I, I thought oh that's incredible, and then I went back to work and then I rang. Um, um, a guy who was um, editing the, the books page who was on the selection panel because I suddenly had panicked and I thought oh my god did I for somehow like not send her book mm. to the selection panel <laughs> I, mean, I just wanted to check that you had received um, Ashley's book for the selection and I was like oh my god oh my god I'm going to be in so much trouble <laughs> and he said yes we was, uh, okay Hang <laughs> <laughs> uh, I still don't really understand how that happened. Yeah. Anyway, it was that, so. Yeah. So that was that. <laughs> that was that story. Um, yeah. Where were we? Well, uh, getting towards the PhD. Oh yeah. And I want to know. I mean, you. I I, I want to know what shape that takes and how full on that is. 
but I guess any steps leading up to that from the publication of the first book. So, so you you stay working at VUP. Yeah, so... So you um, handle all your own publicity. <laughs> you show yourself to be a publicist first and foremost when, you, when you're told you win the award for best first book and you panic that you haven't done your other real job. <laughs> um, uh, you know, well, I, I just... I so loved being in the workshop environment. It was so productive. And all I could think of, you know, the PhD was fairly new... When I was doing my masters, and I just—it was just a fantasy. I was thinking, oh, just imagine having three years <laughs> to, you know, to write another book. And I didn't really think about the whole critical component and how much work that would be. Mm. I was just completely fantasizing about that. And I was thinking, oh, it'd be so great to be a, be able to teach afterwards. And just, I just—it was just a fantasy. And I thought, mm. oh, maybe I'll, maybe I'll apply. Um, I probably won't get in. Um, didn't say anything to anybody and except my partner because I thought I'd better <laughs> yeah <laughs> and um and I put took took me all year to kind of get the, my um get the confidence up to, to put a submission mm. in put one in and I thought uh well part of the reason for, for doing it was that I felt like the first book wasn't really I wanted to write about science mm. and I did but it I felt like it wasn't quite the, what you wanted finished. to say. You yeah, 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 yeah. It would, wasn't it would, everything. It had come out as one thing, and that's what, that's what you know. Writing any book, it never turns out to be what you think it's going to be when you start. And I thought, I'll just have another go. I haven't quite, haven't quite. When I, I had a went out and had a chat to Bill Manhire because he was he was still there then, and mm. um, and basically we sort of had a conversation about how I thought that you know I, I just hadn't let go of the ideas that I was trying to work through and um, there was just a, a, a thought that needed to come to a conclusion I guess and um, that seemed to convince him <laughs> mm, mm. and so yeah and so I put the application in thinking well I'll just keep applying until I get in Mm. take a few years mm. if I start now yeah. then in a few years time yeah. I'll get in but then I got it I got in on the first <laughs> application yeah. I was like oh wow uh I better do it then. So what's the what's what's the commitment with that? What do you tr what do you have to try and um, put forward and proposal wise, and what do right. you have to try and achieve? So proposal wise, yeah, it was quite a substantial proposal. Yeah. I think it was like three or four pages of talking about what you would write about for the critical critical component. Yeah. And what you would write about with the creative, and, and how the two would talk to each other, because mm -hmm. that's quite a, a important. Um, aspect of it mm. is how they work together and so I sort of did put quite a lot of thought into that and I'd sort of I looked at a couple of other people's applications that had been successful mm. to sort of see the sort of language that they were using which was really helpful mm. um, and but yeah the actual yeah I just was not ready for what the it was going to be like in reality yeah <laughs> it, it was it's so different from the Masters. So, so different. Like I was saying before, before it's sort of like it's the marathon compared yeah, to yeah. Well, the I've, sprint. It was a real kind I of... I feel like there's no way to ask this without feeling a bit like a bit like Nigel Tufnell at the end of Spinal Tap. But like, what are the hours? You know, like... What? Well, it was... Like, I started off trying to do it part-time. Mm. Um, but the problem was that it's might be... You might be physically sitting at a desk part-time, but it's in your head... 24-7 mm. it never leaves your brain um, you just it becomes a complete obsession it becomes all of your life 
for so many years. Mm. Um, and so in the end, I had to leave VUP and go full time. Um, got a scholarship, which made it possible. And um, and then it was a re- such a relief to go full time because you could I could just put all my time in it. Yeah, my poor children. My poor children have <laughs> been a bit neglected over the last few years. <laughs> I'm sure it's healthy. <laughs> <laughs> so, our Friends Electric comes out how long ago now? How uh, recent is it? So that was July, uh, June. Mid, so it's mid-June. still very, very new. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. Um, and, I mean... The scope of that book, uh, well, you, you'll have to try and explain it, but I was, the scope of that book, uh, it, it travels so many years in terms of its subject matter. Yeah. How many years does it, what's the full gestation of it for you as a writer? Like when do you, when's the first thing written that ends up in the finished book and so forth? Um, so I think one of the first poems I wrote is the one about this um, sex dolls. Mm. Um, which was the first year that I said it would have been um, 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, I sort of wrote a number of found poems in that mm. year. Um, and yeah, I was saying in Pip's podcast, I was saying to her that yeah, my supervisors were a, bit, a little bit concerned because they were. I was just putting out all these found poems. Mm. And of course, with a PhD, it's all got to be, um, you know, <laughs> original, original work. And there, there, there is that whole anxiety around found poetry and yeah. originality. Well, yeah. d- when did you find found poetry? Um, well, I'd sort of, I mean, I, I think one of the earliest examples I can remember reading and sort of really thinking about was um, James Brown's poem um, about the cash point machine. Mm. Which, yeah, yeah, I, I do. I quite often. No, no, I know neither, but I do know it, yeah. But, um, and I thought that was hilarious. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it'd be, I it hadn't actually, I hadn't thought that I would do anything like that, mm. but um, it's just what came out when I, when I first started. Mm. I was sort of working with so much research material sort of looking for a way to kind of process it all I guess um, and and also it was just a it was an entry point and I was so relieved finally there was an entry point into starting to write some new poems because mm. after one collection yeah signing off from out. signing off from um, which you know I think it's the same for a lot of musicians with mm. albums that signing yeah. off from a piece of work I, I, I always wonder what that, how that process works. You know, there are some people, and I'm sure it's the same with poetry, there are some people with songs where they go, I just write them all the time, and then I group up some, and then I move on. And mm. now that is one way of doing it. But for a lot of people, and particularly something as, you know, particularly something that wins awards, that gets talked about, that... Oh, the that, difficult second book is yeah, like, so much anxiety exactly. around. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't write anything for a while because I just felt burnt out, like I'd used up every every drop that I had in me I thought oh will I actually ever be able to write a second book because I felt mm. like I'd wrung every little drop out of myself and then so and, yeah, trying yeah. to get back into it was really a grind and I felt like it was just sitting down 
sort of like a monkey at a typewriter bashing some keys going, <laughs> well, hoping the, it's something the, to come out. Yeah, the second album cliche that stands up for books is, you have, you know, your first one, you have your whole life to do. Exactly. Your second one, you have 15 months, or, yeah, you know, whatever right, it is, or right. two years. Or, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. It, it did feel like that. Yeah. Um, so, and, it, and at first I felt like, oh, God, these the first few poems I just thought these are turds and I'm just polishing turds um, but then then as I kept writing it's they and they, the poems began to kind of talk to each other I could start to think oh actually no maybe I have got something here because yeah, maybe I don't know I, I guess any creative person there's sort of a, a, a process that you go through of thinking oh this is shit oh maybe this is okay oh this is quite good <laughs> Mm, or mm. Oh, yeah, I can live with that. Or mm. and and there, so there was a bit of a process of of, of that. Can you um, describe for anyone listening that doesn't know or isn't sure? Um, I guess exactly what you think a found poem to be, and because I I I feel like they require quite a huge confidence in putting together. I, I don't know exactly why. Well, well, maybe it's that. I'm trying to think. Like I, 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 I scratch away at my little poems, and I think maybe I've written two. Or I've created two found poems ever. I think, you know, and I don't know if I know one is because it's literally because it was an exercise from that class, right, yeah. and um, so I know that that one is. But I'm not sure even if the other one is or not, and I'm not sure if I'd ever attempted again. Oh, I think in some ways it's probably best not to get too, too caught up sure. in naming things. Sure. But um, well, that's why I'm saying. What does it mean yeah, to you? You know, what do you me? what do you get from it, or what are you trying to put across through it, or you know, how how have you processed it? Um, why have you particularly gravitated to it with regard to this? I think I, I was sort of writing down screeds of notes from research. And I, w- I found that I was um, picking out a lot of dialogue to begin with. Mm. Um, and I like the idea of letting people speak with their own voices. Um, but then trying to sort of to shape that into a... and condense that down into a, a, a one small piece. Mm. So that's, that's kind of where it began, is, is sort of like an act of ventriloquism, I guess, and... And wanting to have a, a number of voices in the in the collection, so that it because you get a bit bored with the sound of your own voice sometimes, mm, mm. and you think, oh well, if you can let other people speak, then there's there's going to be the collection is going to be full of lots of different people rather than just me renting on in my monitor. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but a found poem really should um, should diverge from its original content in, in some way or, or, or sort of should shine a new light on the original um, source material I guess mm. um, and in some ways I feel like with the collection the, um, the that's that's what it's doing as a whole is all the little individual pieces all these little found bits are actually sort of building up to one thesis mm-hmm. in a way I wonder if it's a bit like uh, I wondered this, you know, reading your book in particular. It's a little bit like um, the the role of like a really good DJ selector that puts <laughs> together a compilation or playlist where you know, yes, they haven't played any of the pieces of this themselves, but the 
way they the way when and why and how they've chosen those pieces and arranged them becomes its own song that's right and and like so we when each piece sits next to each other mm. then that that and makes another inf- inference upon the piece so um, there's the poems about the guys with their sex dolls and then there's the poems about the women who have fallen in love with objects and so um, so they start to speak to each other and um, then there's a, a, a narrative that's, that's emerging that might not be apparent by just reading one of those pieces. So I guess I'm seeing the, the collection as a whole as like one big found poem in a way so that all these mm. little pieces are coming together. Mm, mm. Um, and yeah, there's sort of this direct the concept the concept used. album but yeah exactly going back to the concept <laughs> album so yeah the, when they when they all work together all those bits sitting next to each other they um, they they make so one poems will change meaning when it's when it's looked at um, next to another poem mm, yeah. mm. Um, and what comes up during the course of this writing um, that inspires or influences and what comes up that you go is there anything that comes up that because what am I trying to ask here I guess I'm thinking of something like Black Mirror there are things that come up and do you think oh god that's telling a similar thing to what I'm telling but I I was writing my shit first you know uh, that to me seems the obvious one but you're for want of a term speculative and science fiction and so forth um that that must happen to not just you. That must happen to loads of yeah. people creating in that field. And but it really made me think about it with your book. Well, the funny thing is that yeah, like you, that watching TV series like Black Mirror was part of my my research. Mm. And I'd be writing stuff and writing stuff, and then yeah, and then there'd be a, a TV episode about it. I think, oh my god, I've, I've just done this. <laughs> and the, the book's not going to be out. For yeah, me. yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, I've just done this, and there's no way of yeah. convincing people that I'd just done it. <laughs> It's, it's, I guess that's the nature of writing speculative yeah. stuff that is yeah. quite close to the time. I think if you're if you're writing years and years in advance, mm. thinking about a, a very far distant future, then that's one thing. But if you're writing about a near future, um, and you're and you're influenced by technology that is currently developing, mm. then it's it's inevitable that there's going to be cross-pollinate there's going to be things cropping up and then I think what that does is it just shows that you're onto something mm. um, well I guess you know and because and your your books made me think about a lot of things because because I, I I would always describe myself to people as you know as someone or if asked I would always say that science fiction speculative fiction uh, science fiction movies rah, 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 is, is not overall my thing but the 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 sort of shining examples in that genre that I'm aware of absolutely blow me away and are totally my thing. And and but what I'm thinking is it's actually a very, very finite set of themes that go on in that to call it one genre, say. It's 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 a really finite set of themes and and I guess the beauty of of what, what keeps it interesting to people is how many different it's all ruminations on a very finite set of themes, but people tend to go very far with it you know a lot comes out of it um i just i just found so i found myself thinking about you know a lot of that stuff reading your 
reading your collection. It's it, there's so much there for for me to go to that I haven't yet. You know that I haven't got to. There's. I think a lot of the more stuff. In, there's probably more stuff in the book that has actually already started to happen than you might realize. Mm, either. Mm. And I think that that as I was writing the book, it became less and less speculative. Yeah, um, more more documentary. Yeah, well, yeah. it's true. And, yeah, and when yeah, from between twenty thirteen and twenty eighteen, huge amounts happened, um, and that, I guess that's the nature of technology. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exponential growth, um, and in, in, in advances, but um, so you know, when, at first I was thinking of the idea of the of the the beloved dead person being uploaded to the cloud mm. was was um, a lot further away. Than, than, um, than I might have thought but then as I was writing it it sort of came across these examples of this young woman who'd, who'd compiled created a chatbot out of her um, her dead friend's mm. text messages with her and suddenly it's it's actually not I mean obviously that wasn't sentient AI but it was it's getting to a point where where it starts to become convincing and you've I think with the uh, <laughs> once you start to b- sort of believe that you're talking to a person, then you know maybe that's, mm. there's not you're not that far off really the Turing mm. test. Mm. Once you've convinced somebody that it feels real, then then it's not that far off from being real. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, so that, all that is actually happening right now. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. Now I I wondered if you included the reference to the. Um, we I just talked about documentary. I wondered if you'd included that reference to the Werner Herzog documentary for almost that reason. It, it, it feels like a real marker of, you know, because that's a documentary. I've watched that doco twice, and that's a doco that somehow weirdly it felt a little bit dated the second time. And I watched it like, oh, you know, yeah, I'm talking yeah. like four or five months later, and I was like, man, stuff is irrelevant that's in this that kind of wasn't when I first watched it already. It's nuts, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, that was that was part of it. I, I mean, it was. I watched a lot of documentaries while I was writing the book, mm. so it was kind of and I and I and I sort of it influenced me a bit in some of the writing style. I mean, the poem about the um, the sand beasts, sort of, yeah. and one one piece of that sort of ventriloquizes um, documentary style. But I, yeah, I, I was starting to get a bit meta, so I. <laughs> So, so uh, yeah, I was writing in documentary style about documentaries. Yeah. But, yeah, that's the thing. Is I think it's exactly what you say. It's, it's just that it's, it's moving so quickly that, yeah. Does it, um, what does it make your brain hurt to think about this stuff on the level that you've had to? Like, obviously yeah, you're drawn day. to Obviously you're drawn to it, but... <laughs> Yeah, what are the negative aspects of being drawn to that? Like, do you, did you want to, you know, hit control, alt, delete, or whatever, like, do, on yourself? You know. Um, well, I, for me, it was really an exercise in thinking about humanity. You know, what did it? What is it to be human? And um, and how is our humanity going to change as we as we're I mean, the, the second half of the of the collection is all about dealing with with grief and and thinking about how technology is going to mm. impact on the way we grieve and you know can we let go of people and I when I finished writing the collection 
I had reached the opinion that maybe it's not the best thing to want to live forever. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, when I first started writing the collection, one of the things I was thinking about is if I could load my father up into the cloud, that would be amazing and I would totally want to do that. And then by the time I finished writing the book, I thought, oh, actually, you know, maybe we just need to let go of people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I did, there was a process of, of discovery as I was writing the book, mm. I think. Mm. Uh, but then again, there's other aspects of, you know, all the anxieties that surround technology that we have about how it affects our humanity. Like I, I think some of that is... Is, is unnecessarily so you know the, the opening poem of the collection sort of talks about um, Phaedrus and, and how um, the concept that uh, the invention of, of writing was going to um, erode our memories and thereby our humanity and, and of course I don't feel Mm. I don't feel like it's uh, mm. writing has eroded our our memories or our humanities. I think it's changed the way we do things, but I don't think that we're less human for for writing. So I think that there are anxieties around technologies that um, are ancient and unnecessary, and, and that we just need to keep moving with things. But then there are other aspects of technology that I think actually there's probably some things. The, the more we talk about issues that can go wrong, the better. And I, so I think that um, sort of having these thought experiments through poetry is a really good way to get people engaged with thinking about these ideas and thinking through the possibilities and, and thinking about, so if this isn't something that you want to happen, then, then yeah, how are you going to respond to this? Mm. Yeah. You hear there's that amazing poem in there about the... Um, um, the phone and all the all the data that's on the phone basically and that's all that's left of the person but then it brings back to this this final line about um the the phone that he touched mm. you know the touch that that goes on there and um you know i thought about that a lot and i, I one of the things this is this is probably not what you're aiming to do with it or whatever but but one of the things I thought about reading your book was how I've always wrestled with uh, you know email is not a new technology cell phones are not new listen to the songs and when people reference Facebook or email or cell phones or text messages and song it still sounds stupid because mm -hmm. we've had like over a hundred years of people singing about phone calls and writing letters I mean who sits down and writes a letter these days fuck all people but you still hear songs my baby she wrote me a letter or whatever yeah. uh, so you managed to bring I thought to your writing a lot of um, a lot of harnessing of the day-to-day -day technology that we use and and it never there's no way it should feel this way, but it never felt hackneyed. It felt very natural, and you and you kind of, um, I guess, humanised it in a way that I, you know, I'm sure there are other writers doing that, but I hadn't noticed that before. And I think with poetry, I always link it to songwriting, even even though loads of poems and poets aren't songs and aren't song aren't by songwriters. But yeah, I just think there was something in the way you did that that it felt very very natural and honest and real, and 
if we actually think about it, it's ludicrous to hear a song that mentions writing a letter or making a making a phone call on a landline, you know, being connected by an operator, yeah, yeah, these yeah, sorts yeah. of things, but they're just such recognised tropes that they still exist. I'm glad you, you picked up on that. Yeah, it's a real frustration of mine that, that we kind of pretend that current technology doesn't exist, mm. as if it's, I don't know. It's Do you think that's because we're just... We recognise how fast it's moving, and we don't want to get. Uh, we don't want to feel pin dated. It, feel dated. Yeah. Pin it. Pin it down, and recognise that yeah. it's, it's actually more dated trying to reference something in its current and have that passing. I think that is something that's like a that. Possibility, yeah. yeah. Um, but I just, I really wanted to just completely embrace it because it's just to deny that these things are happening that we're not using these technologies just seems so false to me yeah um and that whole that poem about the, the cell phone um actually drew uh, so my my partner my sorry not my, <laughs> so my my sister's partner um got cancer and was dying while i was writing the book and i was um and his phone was a really kind of pivotal thing so he he carried it with him all the time while he was sick and he had mm. a playlist that he listened to all the time and the children were listening to this playlist and, and after he passed away, um, the phone came to the funeral and the playlist was played at the funeral mm. and the children took the phone to bed and were listening to the playlist and and my, my sister was holding the phone a lot and, and I guess like, <laughs> don't like any Facebook posts while you're on his phone because mm. that's going to be it's just that would just be really awful and creepy mm. and sort of it, the idea of it there's being this sort of ghost in the machine mm. um, was was something that was just seemed really present and I just thought how you know it, it just seemed really real and I just thought how how can you not write about that it's just mm. it was a huge part of the grieving process was you know carrying this this totem yeah it was a, it was a totem and but it, it was a, it was actually strangely intimate because like yeah. I'd said in the poem you know he was his hand was it was yeah, I think there's was, a, we, we when we talk about objects we, there's like this whole um, psychology behind objects and the way that they take on part of their their owner so like when someone passes away and you inherit your grandmother's chair or something and you sit in that chair hmm. you feel a deep you connection think of her, with them. you yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And I think that, I think to pretend, to romanticise only about things like armchairs or whatever. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> or yeah. Or a piece of clothing. Yeah. And, and not to be able to look at that as applying to a piece of technology is sort of, it's false. Yeah, and and there, those, those are antiquated ideals, mm. really, that don't feature in our life like I guess there's a romantic notion that you take time out to sit in the chair and reflect or you you look at the old worn diary and you you know you can barely decipher the handwriting but it's but somehow means, a phone isn't something that you can yeah, reflect on yeah yeah when actually you're you're far more personally connected to your own version of that mm. and everything in it and on it and that is how you maybe best communicated with the person mm. and yeah yeah so you, I mean you would you um, would you be up for reading something from the book? Yeah, sure. Should I grab? Yeah. Well, no, no. I just thought like I wanted to. Um, I just feel like all this talk of of these ideas, <laughs> and I mean, maybe you could. I mean, I, I want you to read whatever you want to read. Maybe you could read the one we were just talking about. Um, 
that references the phone directly. But I'm putting you on the spot and you've got to flick through your own. But I feel like you probably know, <laughs> know it pretty well. But um, I always like people to just read poems in these podcasts as we sort of arrive at it rather than, you know. It's called In This Machine. <clears throat> this small object held in his hand daily has taken him inside it. A dead man's phone still receives text messages, still has his favourite playlist to listen to. Don't reply to messages, don't accidentally like a Facebook post using his phone. His spirit is in this machine, his emails, his apps, his photos. These are his mouth, his mind, his eyes, the screen he ran his finger over. Mm. Where did the... um? For you, where did the title come from and for the book? And when did it come? <laughs> and uh, of all the, you know, there are some, I guess, pop cultural references in the book, some technological references, some historical ones and, and many contemporary ones. And then you have this reference that are, most people are going to get something from straight away. And you end up getting... Um, permission from Gary Newman, I take it. Yeah, it yeah, says yeah. in the back that it's directly from him or no, his, his, his Yeah, exactly. So cool. so how important was that title and then getting the permission to quote the epigram thing from him and and yeah, when did that Yeah, so um I started calling the book Our Friends Electric before I even really started writing it. it right. Was yeah. That I was it was writing the towards. project yeah. title. Yeah. Um and I I mean I don't really care. Who doesn't like Gary? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, even um, people who don't know Gary Newman, they hear the songs and go, "Wow, I like the song." Yeah, yeah he's one yeah. of those. Well, and it's so of its time. Yeah, but it's still, I think it's still has a place. Yeah, today. Yeah. I think oh, it still stands up. Yeah, very much so. Um, and so, yeah, and I was listening to um to that album um, when I first started researching. I was trying to kind of get into a headspace, and I thought a soundtrack. Yeah. Might help. Um, and so the replicas you mean the yeah, two-way. Yeah, that's right. And um, so I just started calling the book Our Friends Electric. Mm. And, and I thought, well, that's, yeah, it's not, it was sort of something to aim for. It was something to work towards. Mm. But then, and I hadn't really thought about how that might become a, a central thesis of the book. I hadn't really thought to the, to the full extent what that, mm. what that might mean for, for the contents of the book. But... It, yeah, by the time I finished it was, so I thought, oh, well, I don't have to call it that when I'm finished. It could be mm, something mm. else completely different. It's a working title. It's a working title, but then when I got hey, to the hey, end, Jude used to be called scrambled eggs. There you go. So, yeah. You know. <laughs> no, yesterday. yesterday. Sorry, yesterday as I was saying, as I was saying that, I was like, hey, Jude. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. But then, yeah, when I got to the end, I thought, actually, yeah, it completely sums up the content now. So I don't know whether it's like the content because of the title or what, but that's how it worked out. Yeah. Fascinating. Um, and you, I feel like you probably already answered, I feel like you answered this question on Pip's podcast, but um, I did I did then think this, going back through the book, was um, why why this material in this form? You know, why why group them together as poems? Because they, these, you know, ideas could be explored differently the same ideas and and would you do that and would you feel open to someone given the 
amount of found poetry and 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 distillation of ideas in here. You know, you mention in in the notes to some of these poems the the term remix. You know, uh, have you thought about someone remixing this book? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> go for it. I say. I imagine you'd want you know you'd be open to that and want yeah, that to happen. Yeah, but I'm totally open source. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just yeah, I just think yeah, once you put a book out there, it's up to it's it's not yours anymore. Mm, it's mm. up to people, other people, what they make of mm. it. Um, what was the original? Question? Oh, just why poetry? Why poetry? Why, why poetry? Yeah, um, why why this form? Yeah, so beyond. That's what you've practiced. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's what well, you do. I think that, well, it was kind of going back to the whole idea of pretending that technology doesn't exist in writing. And I just, it used to really get my goat that it's, there are no, why doesn't anyone write poems that have a cell phone in it? Mm, it was mm, kind of mm. like, it just seemed so disingenuous. So I, I just thought that um, I was doing poetry a service. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, totally. Well, actually, I mean, there's there's totally speculative poetry out there, but just not yes. particularly in the mainstream. And I just thought, well, I just, I, I thought it would, it would just be, it wouldn't be doing poetry any favors by by taking it into another form. I just and also and I wanted to try something a bit different as well. As like when I mean, you're writing your second book, you want to. I'm going to try and break a bit of new ground and, and everything's been written about before but you know maybe if I was doing something that isn't done a lot in the mainstream it would start to feel fresh to me mm. and if it felt fresh to me then maybe it would feel fresh to other people and mm. I think that's half of it when you're writing you don't want to bore yourself yeah yeah <laughs> if you're boring yourself you're going to bore your readers so I was trying to kind of keep myself interested and excited but but also I really like the fragmentary nature of poetry and the way that that the um the, the, all these little pieces become nodes and the nodes connect and it becomes like um <laughs> your dog is hilarious oh what's he got a book yeah right um so it starts to talk to each other and, and i think that's something that that whole nodal structure of the collection is something that perhaps couldn't be done mm. um to the same extent as a i mean a book of essays can talk to each other but there's, you can't fit as many essays into a collection as you can poems, so you can mm. get a far more um, detailed web of connections in a book of poetry. I think. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, I found the uh, I found myself with the, um, I guess footnotes. Well, they're not quite, but you know, any yeah, any <laughs> any notes that were connected to the poems. A lot of them appear, yeah, as footnotes at the bottom. But I found myself going through the the volume alternating you know wanting to be spoiled or informed before i read it and yeah. wanting to jump to the note and then other times going oh i can see there's a note there i want to wait and yeah. read that was really interesting and i haven't i don't think i've had that before with with a collection you know i really couldn't work out if i was cheating by reading the <laughs> note first or if that was gonna you know if it was important to have my reading of it influenced and informed yeah. which i thought was really cool we had a, a quite a conversation between, um so when i wrote the collection as a as a part of the thesis, I had the footnotes um, under each individual yeah. poem, and then um, my supervisor said, oh, "I think we should take them out and put them at the back." So I took them out mm. and put them at the back, because um, and that part of that was, you know, spoiler alerts mm, and stuff. Mm, mm. Um, you know, you should come to the poem without any preconceived ideas and just experience it as a work of art. Um, but that kind of, yeah, I felt slightly uncomfortable about it, but I thought, okay, well, it's part of a thesis, I'll do that, because that's a sort of an official structure. 
and then um, interestingly I left them at the back and when I gave the manuscript to Fergus to have a look at funnily enough he said have you thought about putting the footnotes at the bottom mm. <laughs> and I said well actually yes I have mm. so we had another crack at it so I moved them back again and I, it is, I do have this sort of deep feeling that we should be upfront about the work that goes into creative mm, pieces. Mm. Um, and I like that whole concept of showing your workings. Um, well, again, it's, I mean, I read it going, this is informed by and, and in tribute to and about a technology where we read an article with multiple tabs open, we click on links, you know, that you're talking about showing workings like, most essays or blogs that appear online have little hints and links the whole way through. And I, I started to think, I kind of wish this collection had lived online. Me too. With, hyperlinks. Uh, yeah, with hy- full of hyperlinks. I, wanted to, I yeah. wanted to write a book with hyperlinks in yeah. it. And so this was the analogue version that yeah. I was coming to. Because, yeah. Because that's how we all read now. I mean, yeah. you're, you're reading it on a on a screen. Yep. You're clicking on a link. It takes you off to somewhere else. Yep. Maybe it takes you on a whole different journey and yeah. you come back and you... You know, rabbit maybe, holes yeah, yeah exactly and that was part of my mm. that's part of my contemporary reading experience and mm. I wanted to bring that into this collection I just well you have because you yeah, know it hints at it yeah. exactly like, I just thought again it's like why do we pretend that we don't read like that when we, yeah. we do read like that yeah. that's, and that's what we I get a lot of satisfaction from following a, mm. a rabbit hole of mm, mm. <laughs> well I was uh, I mentioned to you I was I was home in Hawke's Bay for the weekend and I my mum was talking about some I think like, like a Kindle book she'd bought, and she said to me, "Oh, you." She couldn't, you know, she couldn't remember the book or the writer, but she said, um, "She goes, oh, you'd you'd quite like her. She uh, she writes your story. She writes her stories like you do, you know, just in big long columns." And I was like, "Oh, they're they're, they're called poems." And then, and then, you know, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to um, you know rag on my mum there, but I just thought that's actually brilliant, like because they are. They asked, and I thought about that with with your book when I and and me asking you this question about why poems. It's like that's perfect. Like they are stories, they yeah, are essays, yeah. they are um, little little notes, and they are poems. You know. Well, I, I went, there was. A, and if someone remixed them with music, they'd be songs. You know. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's all valid, and, and it's all there. And why like, does everything have to be set in labelled and named? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and 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 a set of rules. I like the fluidity around. And that. I I went I went from and it's not because I needed to kind of protect my mum or myself, but I went from seeing that as like a, oh you don't understand you don't understand anything I've done to that's actually a wonderful compliment. Yeah, you know, yeah. in, in a second I was like that's really cool. That's how I'm just going to think about that, and, and in a way I always have. Like I don't really think they're poems they're just little ideas yeah they're just exactly. little stories like yeah that don't and the lines don't reach you yeah yeah page. yeah yeah that's right and that's and i don't even know why that is yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. like most of the time i went to a, a conference um on poetry and the essay um i think it was last year and um and there was a lot of interesting talk about where those two genres meet and and the blurring mm. the distinctions and 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 i did start to think about this collection as sort of one big lyric essay in mm. a way and, and then that's another reason why the footnotes it's kind of mm. like it starts as sort of thinking about poetry in a slightly different way mm. Mm. well again it's like you know I you know and people always hold this up as an idea for the the sadness around the death of the album the vinyl format and why they why they gravitate to that but you know it takes me back to being a kid and discovering music or an album for the first time and 
reading the liner notes and wanting to see, you know, those little those little clues, those little yeah, men- yeah. those little crumbs, those little mentions of who the studio musicians were. Like, okay, that's, that's maybe not for everyone, and maybe some people can appreciate the song without knowing that. But to me, it was all part of. I think it's a, human nature. A, a deeper understanding. Television exactly. Now. Like you know, I'm completely been obsessed with Westworld lately, mm. and the whole um, extra material that circulates mm. around a television program like that. You know, there's. There's a website. There's like huge conversations on Reddit. Around yeah, it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Individual episode commentaries. Exactly. Like, there's that, yeah. that, that whole culture of the recap. And yeah, 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 yeah. Directly. You don't after wait for the it. end of the season for no, a review. Every no, single episode every has one. Episode, yeah. yeah. And you're digging into it, and you're talking, breaking down individual scenes. Exactly. Yeah. And what does it mean? And and I think that there's a culture of that at the moment, and it's it just builds on sort of natural human curiosity mm. and. Mm. We want to find meaning and things. And, mm. and any time you watch a show and you go, oh, they had some pretty good music in that, you go to Spotify and someone's right. already made the, the playlist. And it's not just the <laughs> sanctioned soundtrack, it's every single musical <laughs> cue or mention. You know, suddenly you've got a, like, you know, Big Little Lies was a good example of that. There's an official CD release with right. 10 or 12 songs, but there's a playlist of. 70, 50 or 70 that's songs amazing. that goes for many hours that's every single musical reference in order. Humans are uh, naturally obsessive. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's um, you know, I guess one of the cool, I, I often think about like for all the worry that people have towards weird subcultures that have found themselves online, I always think like, what was for these people before this existed? You know, how did they how do they connect? How do they find you know, how do people with these quirky or kinky interests or whatever they are to anyone else, how do they go about their life and themselves? I think life you know? was a bit lonely. Yeah. People now worry about the internet making people yeah. lonely, but actually I think it's yeah, like you say, it's, it's, it's connect, you know, a different way of connecting. We've got to we've got to remember that I think. Like it's an easy it sort of becomes that, you know, it becomes that version of um, making something a, a dry county, you know, deciding yeah. that, you know, there's a liquor ban for a reason because one person got drunk once and kicked over a sign, you know, and yeah. we, we sort of apply a bit of that logic to, to you know, and then then you watch a documentary about the dark web or something and then you go, oh, no, this is actually a problem, <laughs> you know, so I don't, I don't, I don't know what the... It's, ar- it's complicated. Yeah, yeah, I don't know what the answer is. That's right, but that's yeah. the point, isn't it, is that exactly. there's no one single answer for it. The best thing to do is have conversations around it mm. you know and mm. yeah and that's what i see this collection is doing is basically it's another way of having a conversation around how we feel about mm. the impacts of technology on our lives mm. Mm. Yeah. um do you want to read something else from it yeah sure do you want to choose something since i i told you what to read last time <laughs> shall i read something from the first yeah half yeah um Maybe, maybe not the sex dolls. <laughs> uh, I did wonder about that. I did wonder about um, how you were feeling about, re- you know, public readings with some of this stuff. Like, as it, it, it feels like, uh, you know, I don't feel like there's anything in there that would necessarily make you or an audience blush, but at the same time, a lot of it deserves to be discovered by a reader. I think rather than yeah, sent out and some would yeah. read out. But, yeah. Um, yeah. I don't feel like I don't wouldn't feel embarrassed no. to any of it out, but it is nice to just leave some things just to be discovered. To yeah. Be discovered. yeah. Um, maybe I'll 
read one that's about sort of relatively dated technology. Um, this one about plastic surgery. It's called The Girl with the Mouse-like Eyes. Circa 1970. She wishes to have a face with big, round, beautiful eyes, like American girls. She wishes to have a face to recapture her GI husband. Once enticingly exotic in Vietnam, she's become obtrusively foreign on Main Street. The surgeon thinks her eyes brim full of oriental charm and genteel humility, and frets he might change Madame Butterfly into a moth. But still, in view of the patient's selfless sincerity, he operates, alleviating her mouse-like eyes. Records do not reveal if she caught the eye of her Occidental man once more, or if she slipped quietly behind a screen with her father's knife. Mm. What's in the immediate pipeline? The book's new, you've got a few things happening with it. But yeah, what else? Well, I, I am such a hussy. So whenever I'm writing a collection, <laughs> I always kind of cheat on it with, with the next project mm. because it's one of those things that kind of helps me going. Mm. Um, so the next project that I'm looking, I've just sort of started getting into, I, I think I'm going to, it's going to be prose for a little bit of difference. Um, and I'm looking into a sort of a memoirish, sort of fictional account of Wellington in the 90s right yeah I might have to interview you <laughs> oh yeah I was yeah I got here in 95 yeah, yeah I can't do the early 90s for you but I can <laughs> so I was thinking yeah sort of looking at thinking a bit about well actually I read um, Sheila Hetty's um, book um, How Should a Person Be I think it's mm. her first um, book and so she was writing a lot about being in her 20s and the kind of decisions that you're making and the people that you're with and how that affects your art. And um, it made me start thinking about... I've been wanting to, for a while, to sort of write about my 20s. And that, is to me, is an identity. And it's, it's unavoidably Wellington for me. And I've been thinking about how landscape kind of affects you and the impact that it has on your identity and um, yeah it's just I guess you, you start hitting I'm getting near 50 and I'm starting to look back on my <laughs> life and kind of wonder about sort of the decisions I made and, and the people I was with and how that shaped me yeah and, but also it's a very Wellington I don't know I just I, it's, I want to write a love letter to Wellington in a way mm -hmm. yeah Oh, that sounds fascinating. And there be, must be some, um, I mean, you would know loads of people already, but there'd be some fascinating people to talk to some around that. crazy characters yeah. that were yeah. in Wellington. Yeah. yeah, and some real, because I have, um, you know, mostly fond memories of my first five to ten years, and well, every year in Wellington, but yeah, certainly the first sort of five to ten years where I was kind of really exploring the city. And it yeah. was an interesting time, though. You know, the yeah. student loans were being introduced, and things were things were shifting um, politically. And the late eighties, the whole um, homosexual law reform bill mm. was brought in when when I was in my late teens, and I, things 
shifted and I, I don't I don't think I've read a huge amount mm. about that time mm. in Wellington and I, I, I feel like it had a big impact on me and and my friends um, and I just thought it would be interesting to explore it. I don't want to jinx it. Uh, now I've probably completely jinxed it talking about it now. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say um, I guess a huge congratulations on the book because it's uh, to me it's a really profound experience that's both um, you know amazing if you're into poetry and because it's really um, wrestles and reconnects and reshapes the form but it's something that I feel people could approach as their first poetry book you know and that someone that hasn't re really grasped poetry before they might find something in this that stands outside of the form yeah Good, good. Well, thank you very much for coming and having a chat.